Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and we'll be looking at verses 18 through 35. Luke, chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. Uh, You can also find that in the Pew Bibles located in front of you or in your worship guide. Any of those will work. So just a, a little bit of, of context for, for the, the series that we're in right now. We're, we're this Advent season where we're asking some of the fundamental questions um, that, that really do come up uh, as you think about life between the first coming of Christ and the second. And, and one of the questions that uh, that's, we're, we're going to see today in particular uh, is this question presented to us from John the Baptist is more of an overarching question, and then three questions will follow that one question. That question is this. Are you the one? Or stated differently, are you really the one that we can place our hope in? Are, are you really the one in whose kingdom will endure forever? We're about to take up and read, but before we do, Let us ask for the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. Lord, how we come before you now with questions, yearning hearts, O Lord, living in a season of tension between the first and second coming of Christ, a sojourning, as Peter will call it, Lord, as we come before you with questions these days, we pray, O Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of our Lord from Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. 
I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. That is the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading and preaching of it. So, just a bit of context as we uh, jump in. Uh, the beginning uh, of chapter 7, what Jesus has just done is uh, a series of rapid fire uh, healings of various sorts, even uh, such things as uh, miraculous as raising the widow of Nain's son from the dead. And, and it's as this is unfolding that, it, obviously, word is getting out around town. Well, this Jesus, this seems to be prophet, uh, cousin of John the Baptist, something's going on here. And word even gets back to, to John himself. And so kind of the word around, is this the moment? Is, is this the one? Is this the actual Messiah that, that we had hoped for? Which really brings us to this first question, which we see in verses 18 through 23, which uh, John, hearing this, sitting in prison, sends his messengers to go and ask this question, are you the one, or should we expect another. Now this has perplexed people throughout the ages because they're, why would John even ask that? Right? We, we started in Luke chapter 1. We should know by now. You know, John surely knows Jesus, right? Like, John baptized Jesus, actually. He's, he's sitting there in the very uh, River Jordan and saying, you know, I'm, I shouldn't be the one baptizing you, Jesus. You're you're the one who, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. And not only that, but even you know, more interestingly, John really knows Jesus because uh, the text says that while John was in uh, his mother's womb, he leapt when Mary walked up as uh, the Virgin Mary carried Jesus in her. So surely John actually knows Jesus here. But there's, there's a component missing. Here John sits in prison. He had something, something in mind of what this kingdom should look like. Like, this is, this is the Messiah. This is the, the son of David who's going to come and set the captive free. But I'm a little confused. His ministry, as incredible as it may be, it lacks a sense of power, maybe. Or, or maybe the might that it promised John here sits in prison, about to be beheaded by a wicked ruler. And you can imagine him sitting there. But I thought in this kingdom, the, 
the prisoners were set free. I thought the, I thought the king was supposed to come and, and, and set the captives loose, and yet here I sit in prison for what? Preaching the gospel. Jesus has a, an interesting answer that really only Jesus could, could give. He never really answers the question. He just simply says, go and tell them what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. It's an echo from Isaiah 35 and 61 and those passages. This, this messianic figure is going to come in and everything will be set right. Finally. That's my answer. Am I the one? Remember Isaiah? Remember what was promised? You've seen it and you've heard it. Go tell him. It's an interesting answer, isn't it? Am I the one? Yes, of course. But, and maybe this is John's big issue, the outworking of the kingdom is maybe a little different than what you thought, John. Maybe the kingdom that you had in mind was one where there is no suffering, but you will suffer, and so will the king. But can't you put yourself in John's shoes for just a second? Just sit where he is? You've been told one thing your whole life. Here you are, the child of this elderly couple who couldn't have children again this old testament theme reverberating through your mind that any time that there's a a struggle and this older couple finally has a child what's the child going to do he's going to he's going to do something significant and redemptive and and you've been told this whole time that that you've been trained for this you have this this training and, and now the moment is here you've waited your life for it proclaim that the kingdom of god is at hand Not only has John waited his whole life for this moment, Israel's history has waited for this moment. And everything before you has given this promising note that surely this is the Messiah. Surely the moment has come. And yet now you sit in prison and are waited to be beheaded. Wouldn't it be so easy to get cynical? John sitting there thinking, some kingdom this is. That's that's not the David that I read about. He looked very different from what I saw was promised. It seems to me that right now, we should be winning, shouldn't we? We shouldn't be suffering. Can't we live like that too sometimes? We, we live so much, and it's so interesting that in our day and age, you know, there are whole cottage industries of, of people who come up with really pessimistic statistics of, as to why the church is dying, and we say, shouldn't we be winning now? Or maybe some of our thought is, uh, you, you know, uh, maybe we should just change our tactics. Maybe if we legislate right, then the kingdom will come. 
Or, or maybe right now where you sit, you, you are in a mental and spiritual prison and you feel like the king is not coming to help. You sit right where John is. You ask the question, are you the one? Jesus, really? Because I'm sitting here dying and the morphine of distraction is wearing off. Not the king that I expected. It's an honest and raw question. But the beauty of this text is that he is. You have to see truly, see what he's done the blind, as I even look out here today, the blind are seeing, the, the deaf are hearing, the, the dead have been raised to life. Good news is here. Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is ruling and reigning over all things, conquering even sin and death. But there's more there. Why does it even matter? This is why question two is so important. Jesus brings us to the second question on uh, a little bit more of the nature of the kingdom itself. He, he anticipates somewhat of the crowd's question now that, that John's uh, messengers are gone. And so he looks at the crowd and he, he asks them just this very, very intriguing, what you go out into the wilderness to see? Or, or maybe stated differently, what did you expect? What sort of thing were you anticipating? He's speaking to them because they had all gone out to see John. There's something significant with this John figure. And so Jesus just asked them the question, what did you expect? Did you go out into the wilderness to see uh, reeds shaking in the wind? Which, you know, it's something akin to here. Did you go out to see uh, leaves floating down from the trees? Or in the spring, did you go out to watch pollen fall from the trees and sneeze? Is that what you went to see? Of course you didn't go to see that. Or, or what else did you see? Did you go to see uh, a, a man dressed in fine clothing or soft clothing, as the text says, probably in reference to, to the, the clothing that, that princes and kings wear, which is very contra John. Uh, if you're not familiar with that passage, John does not dress like a king. He dresses whatever the opposite of a king is. And, and, and so did you go out to see that? Of course you didn't. You could have gone to a palace and seen that. So what did you go see? You went to see a prophet, didn't you? You anticipated a prophet because there's something significant going on here. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's not light language. You went out because you were expecting something spectacular. But I'm here to tell you, Something far greater than you imagined is actually here. You went to see a prophet, but I tell you, what you saw was actually more significant than a prophet. And yet, as significant as John is, you still missed the main point. Here's Jesus' answer. You, you uh, went out to see something, but something actually far greater than what you anticipated it is, is real. Here's what he says. You go to see a prophet? A prophet, yes, indeed, verse 26. Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. 
I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. They showed up expecting to see a revolution. What they got is actually something very different. Here John is, and there's this, there's this inextricable link between John's ministry and Jesus' ministry. And so they're thinking that, that what John was promising Jesus is bringing to fruition, but he's not conquering the Romans. So what is he doing? What's this kingdom he's talking about? And Jesus is like, you've missed the whole point of what this kingdom is about. This kingdom is so much more than what you've anticipated. In fact, as magnificent as John is, he's the least in the kingdom of God. This kingdom that I'm proclaiming about to you it is something far, far greater. Here's one thing they never expected. Of course they expected for Jesus to ride in and take over Jerusalem and set up some sort of new kingdom as David. What they didn't expect is for a kingdom where God himself would walk with his people. They never expected to be themselves by union to this Messiah, made holier than the Ark of the Covenant. They never anticipated, because of their union to Christ Jesus, to be made holier than the temple. They never expected that the fiery Shekinah glory upon Mount Sinai would reside amongst us. They never expected a kingdom like that. And so Jesus is looking at them and saying, what did you expect? Did you expect less of God? That with power and majesty and might and things that previous generations feared to even speak as they watched it unfold, that that God would dwell with his people in that way. You expected less about him? What about us? What did we expect from the kingdom? A kingdom measured in square miles? Or a kingdom with branches of of government or rules and regulations? Or maybe uh, a kingdom built on compliments and admirers? We settle for shadow kingdoms kingdoms of cotton candy that have the appearance of being tangible but are vapor when the fullness of God is offered to us. There are replete examples of this, uh, of of people having things that they don't know they have, right? Like things that are of far surpassing value and they don't even realize it. One such, um, in 2019, uh, a little French lady uh, was cleaning uh, the house that she was in, and uh, as French ladies do, and um, and she's there cleaning her house, and, and she finds some, what looks to be just some cheap painting, and uh, it's a religious scene, and she just assumes that probably the previous tenants were were Russian Orthodox or something like that, and that's their icon. So she set it next to the trash to haul it off. Um, thankfully, she didn't. Uh, somebody cared enough about her to to come and say. You can't throw that painting away. And she's like, I'm not Russian Orthodox. I don't, I don't need it. Just chuck it. And uh, come to find out, it was a, a, a 13th century 
uh, masterpiece in uh, National Treasure um, by a, a French painter that I can't pronounce his name, uh, called Christ Mocked. Come to find out, um, it was actually invaluable. Uh, they secured the funds the French government did and at an undisclosed amount purchased it for the museum, but it's uh, thought to, to probably be uh, purchased for somewhere in the range of $25 million. She was going to throw something away. It was priceless. It was so integral to the very fabric of what it meant to be French, and she was going to throw it away because she didn't know what she had. We do that too, don't we? We look at the kingdom of God and think, yeah, but what benefit is it? Shouldn't it have a different set of rules or a different set of flavors? Or, or shouldn't, it, shouldn't it have this emphasis or that emphasis? Or by now, shouldn't it look this way? We don't know what we have. To steal somewhat of Lewis's language, we settle for Thomas Kincaid when Rembrandt is offered to us. We settle for Capitol Hill when an entire redeemed cosmos is offered to us. We settle for the gulag of self-gratification when the fullness of God is offered to us in Christ Jesus. What kind of king and what kind of kingdom did we expect? Not one as glorious is offered to us in the gospel. Not even remotely. Which brings us really to the third question, because there are two responses to this sort of a kingdom. Out of the, the what did you expect, Jesus then goes on to say, what can I compare this generation to? The one generation that's seeing these things unfold, who's watching this happen before their, their very eyes, and there's a mixed review, isn't it? Verse 29, when all the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. It's so interesting that here are the common people, all the people, and the tax collectors too, the worst. The greediest, stab you in the back for money, should never be welcome into any sort of proper place. They welcome this kingdom. Not because of the money that it brought, but because of the glory it brought. How do we know this? They declare God just. How? Because God sent John. And they listen to John. And then God sends Jesus, and now they're eating dinner with him. But then there's the other reaction. But the Pharisees and the, the lawyers or the... Uh, the, the scholars of the law, rejected the purpose of God for themselves, having not been baptized by John. They've heard God's plan. It's before them, and they say, I don't like that kingdom. I want a different sort of kingdom. I, I, I want the kingdom that, that I set up, or uh, put a different way, I want the kingdom, but I want it on my own terms. And so Jesus just brings out, what, what can I compare this people to? Because they looked at John, and they said he has a demon. Granted, maybe there's some merit to that. He's wearing ragged clothes and wandering out in the wilderness. We've seen that before. 
you know, kind of living amongst uh, the desolate places. That is something that sometimes demons do. But John's not one of them. He's not demonic. And yet now the Son of Man comes, and what do you say? He's eating and drinking. You call him a, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of, a friend of tax collectors. What am I even supposed to do with this generation? What are they like? He actually quotes a, a, popular, uh, a popular kind of cultural thing amongst children uh, in Jerusalem in the first century. They're like children sitting on, in the marketplace and calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. This is the, the Jewish first century version of, uh, you didn't play by my rules, so I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Here, the kingdom of God has been proclaimed by John and now by Jesus. And they've rejected John and now they're rejecting Jesus. And they'll send him to the very cross. Why have they done this? Because they wanted God but they wanted God on their own terms. We want the kingdom, of course, but we want the kingdom on our own terms. We can do this too, can't we? Lord, I am more than happy for you to come and help me with my children. You know they need it. And I'm willing, Lord, absolutely, for you to be here to help me with my marriage. That needs it too. Especially my spouse, not me. Um, or, or, Lord, you know, you, you can help me with all of these. Help me with this job. Help me with my, my aspirations. You can help me with anything, but here, here's the deal. My godless ambition, my pride, it's off limits. And in fact, you're, you're more than welcome to aid me in my journey towards happiness. But that's, that's the end of my Journey. That's the goal of my journey, is happiness. So if I'm ever uncomfortable, or if I ever have to face anything that I don't want to face, or have to suffer, that's off limits, Lord. So be my guide to my journey to happiness. Show me the kingdom of me being happy. There's good news here today. One, God will not be domesticated. He will not be trained to be a guide on your journey to happiness. He will, in fact, stop at nothing until he has all of you for himself. This is good news. That the kingdoms, the, the small little kingdoms that we try to build for ourselves. Here, the Lord says, I'm offering something so much greater. Life and eternal life. And I won't let you keep your little kingdoms that destroy you. I will bring you to myself. And I'll do it at whatever cost. I did not spare my son so I'll bring you to me. Here's our question then. Is he the one? Absolutely. The God who can do far more than we could ever ask or, th or think has sent us his very son. Who's redeemed us and adopted us 
and is dwelling with us and bringing us further into himself. This is a kingdom that all eternity will take to unfold its majesty and his glory. But in this season of waiting, may we look to him who constantly reminds us this day, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, we have good news. Let us go to him now in prayer. Oh, Father, as we marvel at the reality 